I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hi, welcome back to Vet Sessions. Today we have my friend and colleague, Dr. Shane Bateman, here to talk to us about accessible veterinary care. Hi, Dr. Bateman. Hi, Shannon. So nice to have you with us today. Thank you. So before we jump into our topic, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about kind of your veterinary journey, what you do right now and how you got there. I've known you for many years and have followed your career, (laughs) but for those who haven't, uh, it'd be nice to hear a little bit more. Yeah, I would say, you know, when we... uh, when I first start talking to students for the first time and meeting them when they get into fourth year, I tell quite a long story. I'll try and keep it brief for today. But I think one of the things that I've found to be the most remarkable about my career is that I've like done a lot of different things over yeah. the years with my career. And, you know, some good, some not so good. <clears throat> and it just, I think, highlights the incredible versatility that a DVM degree has and so true. that there are so many things that you can do. And anybody who isn't happy doing what they do, there's no excuses. There's like so many branches in this profession. Um, like get out there and find something that truly makes you passionate about what you're doing. That's really true. I've jumped around a bit myself for sure yeah. until I finally landed here. So, yeah. So uh, I um, grew up on a beef ranch in south, southern Alberta outside of Calgary made my way through that very traditional pathway of a rural farm kid going to vet school. I went to Alberta or the University of Alberta Edmonton for two years for my pre-vet. And then I was one of those lucky people who got into vet school after two years and went to Saskatoon. Uh, Did four years in Saskatoon and thought, hmm, I'm done school. I'm never coming back. (laughs) And I left and didn't think that I would ever be back. because I got into vet school pretty young, I really, I think, missed out on a lot of those, you know, extracurricular activities and travel and things that I saw a lot of my friends doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I finished vet school, I kind of wanted an adventure. So I moved clear across the country, yeah, which was as far as I could get and still be in Canada practically, <laughs> and took a job in rural mixed animal practice in Nova Scotia. And that was a really eye-opening experience for anyone who's listening. If you buy me a beer sometime, I'll tell you the backstory. <laughs> but I had some really transformative experiences about the quality of veterinary care and the importance of the human animal bond that really, you know, were lessons that like just shaped who I was as a person and what I wanted to accomplish with my career. And so long story short, I did not work at that job for the extent of my contract and uh, uh-huh. I left um, that position after about six months and I moved home much to my parents chagrin and <laughs> uh, then I moved into uh, another rural mixed animal practice in Lloydminster Alberta uh, Lloydminster is a border town so half of the town is in Alberta and half is in Saskatchewan mm-hmm. there you go Fun and exciting. It was one of the original um, uh, large animal practices across the prairies that actually had built a large animal surgical facility. And so the 
producers and um, clients were very well trained there that when they had a cow that they could get into a trailer, she came to the hospital <laughs> instead of traveling out to her. And so it was a very efficient um, practice, big practice, multiple people. It was a really, really good experience. But in the first spring that I was there, I injured my back um, lifting mm. a calf oh, no. <laughs> into the fun little cart that we had to wheel them back to their trailers. And, uh, you know, it was bothersome for that spring. And then the next spring, it was also problematic. Yeah. And um, I think by that point in time, I had, you know, had two years of practice under my belt and I had felt like my learning curve had really started to flatten out. There were like six or seven things that we did commonly, routinely. I felt like I could do them, but there was still some things that were missing. And that was percolating in the back of my head, but the um, original um, founder of the practice who was retired and still working part-time in the practice for his son and his former partner, who are now the owners of the practice, mm -hmm took me aside, invited me for dinner and said, um, young man, if there is something else in this profession that you think you could be happy doing, go do it. Wow. That's um, amazing. They had that courage it, to tell you that. Was, like that's, that's It was some fantastic. of the best advice that I ever received because he said to me, I've had five operations on my back and I live in constant pain. And while I don't regret it for a second, if I thought that there had been something else that could have kept me happy and saved me from all of that, in retrospect, I would have done it. So put yourself first and look after your health. Wow. So it was good advice. And so I took it under advisement and um, decided to apply for an internship in small animal, um, rotating intern in small animal medicine and surgery. And that's what brought me to OVC and Guelph uh, for the first time in 1993, which is a long time ago. <laughs> it's okay, that's when I met yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I completed my internship. Uh, it was a great year. I thought that uh, because that's what I was good at in vet school, I'd gotten good grades in surgery. I really liked surgery. I thought that I was going to be a small animal surgeon. That's what I applied to do a residency in, and uh, it didn't happen. Well, I well, didn't match. Yeah, happens. It does. And honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened. Well, second best thing maybe that ever happened to me in my career because um, it led me ultimately to um, consider emergency and critical care medicine as a specialty. Excellent. Um, which was a last minute opportunity that came about after the match had closed and Dr. Carol Matthews, uh, you know, got funding at the last minute. She knew that I didn't have a role and, you know, I guess thought highly enough of me that she would be interested in having me as a resident and offered me the role. And I thought about it for not very long. And I was like, yeah, this is actually a good mix for me. It allows me to continue to, you know, do things with my hand and be able, hands and be able to, you know, utilize some of those skills that uh, surgeons use, but yeah. also really using the, you know, medicine side of my brain. And it was married with all kinds of technological <laughs> instruments, which is the other part of me that uh, uh, kind of blossomed in, in that environment. So I was the first uh, person in Canada to complete a residency, a formal residency training program at a university in emergency and critical care, uh, which I completed in 97. 
That's when great. I, yeah, when I finished, there were no jobs available in Canada. None of the other vet schools or any of the other large practices were interested in entertaining having uh, an emergency and critical care specialist, which is so crazy. It's wow. not that long ago. And now you can't like throw enough veterinarians at those practices no to, to keep them filled. That's how quickly really specialty medicine in Canada has evolved, especially for emergency and critical care. And so I looked south, uh, as we do when mm-hmm. we're in Canada, and <laughs> we can't find a job. <laughs> yep. And uh, I interviewed at a couple of places and was ultimately offered a role at uh, the Ohio State University, which I had to look up on a map where Ohio <laughs> even was when, <laughs> when I saw there was a job there. True Canadian, there you oh, go. Oh, it was yeah. good. And then I go to find, uh, you know, to look at their website, which was a thing back then. And I start looking at all the faculty who were there and, you know, John Bonagura and Steve DiBartola and all of Robert Sherding and all of these people who had published most of the textbooks that I'd studied from were going to be my colleagues. And I was quite frankly, very intimidated and thought that I had made a terrible mistake. (laughs) I would be terrified. So uh, it was a good experience. They had never had uh, an emergency and critical care faculty uh, in the clinic there before. I was the first one who had boards who was on faculty. They did have an ICU, uh, which was well utilized, uh, and a lot of patients uh, went through that space. But from a staffing and patient care perspective, there were two techs that worked uh, in my service. Two? Two. One that worked weekdays from 8 to 4 in the afternoon and one that worked midnight to 8 a.m. So from 4 p.m. until midnight and Uh. all weekend, I had no staff to run the ICU. (laughs) That is impossible to imagine. Phase four students, listen carefully. They were the people who ran the ICU. Oh, my gosh. So very quickly, I um, recruited some first and second year students who were keen to take on a challenge and... They became my ICU techs initially until I could hire enough staff to sort of keep the place running. Wow. What an opportunity for them. I bet they loved it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I, I'm friends with several of them still to this day. I bet. And uh, yeah, they got to do a lot of stuff for sure. So I was at Ohio State for 10 years. That was kind of my humble beginning when I left uh, Ohio State in 2008, which was exactly 10 years later. We had three faculty, um, a residency training program. We'd started a rotating internship program. I was managing the not only the emergency and critical care services, but also the family practice service. And we had also started a human-animal bond program and hired a social worker into the hospital who was reporting into me. And um, so it was, it was a lot. Uh, we, we had a, a good run. Uh, we did a lot of great things there. And, uh, but I was tired. I was really tired. I was just going to say, so how do you manage to expand your days to, you know, most people do not have enough hours and they do that. And I mean, you, you always do a lot. That's you, which is amazing, but wow, that seems like a lot for one person. It was a lot. And, uh, it was, um, it's fun though. Uh, I had a great team and everybody, you know, we really just tried to help look after. I was a lot younger then and I have a lot more stamina (laughs) than I do now. So I was a bit crispy 
on the outside and inside. I've been on call for seven and a half out of the 10 years and remember many <laughs> times talking to staff about ventilators and such things while I was trying to be on vacation, which really doesn't sort of, you know, meet the needs of having a vacation in the first no, place. No, that so, is not a vacation. Yeah. No. So I started down another path where I thought uh, one of my other passions in the world is... Uh, the human-animal bond and supporting clients and um, learning how to speak to clients uh, effectively and to support them through the very challenging things, especially in emergency and critical care that we often have to deal with. And so I started a PhD program with Dr. Jason Coe um, and, uh, you know, uh, was very happy as a graduate student for a year and yeah, that happened to coincide with the inauguration or the opening of the Hills Primary Pet Center here that we're sitting in. And uh, they came and said, you know, with your experience, we think you would be really great. And I was like, oh, but I know how much work that starting a new program from scratch is going to be. Uh-huh. I'm not really that interested. Thank you. I'm flattered, but no thanks. Anyway, they came back a few weeks later and said, we really would like you just to apply. Maybe maybe that will help bring in some more applications. So I agreed to that. And long story short, I ended up being the <laughs> inaugural director of the Hills Primary Healthcare Pet Nutrition Center. So here we are. Uh, I did that role for... A little over a year and a half, I hired you, I hired a few other people in this place. It was a really, really exciting project. And I'm, you know, it's one of those things that I'm super proud of having accomplished in my career. Uh, But as I suspected, it was really busy and very stressful. And I didn't really have a lot of patient care or students to kind of offset the stress Mm -hmm. of being an administrator. And uh, when the opportunity to move back into the emergency and critical care world uh, as a fill-in for Dr. Bersanis um, on her mat leave, I jumped at that chance, and that was kind of what brought me back to emergency and critical care. Absolutely, because emergency stress is way better than administrative stress. Well, <laughs> it's the stress I know and yeah. the stress that I'm good at, maybe. Absolutely. <clears throat> I would agree with you, incidentally, yeah. but yeah. yes. So. So that kind of started me back into a career in emergency and critical care, which led to one thing and another thing. And ultimately, that's uh, what's landed me back into my current permanent role in the emergency and critical care service. But of course, that's not what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. It's so great to hear about someone's journey, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that as new graduates, it's really interesting to hear that, Mm -hmm. you know, to a lot of people, their first job is the be all and the end all. Mm -hmm. They think, okay, I have to find a job that I'm going to love forever. And very few of us actually do that. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. So I think that's really, really important for people to know and to hear. So I really love hearing about your journey. I knew parts of it. (laughs) I think there's going to have to be a beer, though, in our future, because I don't know the (laughs) story behind whatever happened in Nova Scotia. So anyway, thank you for going over um, your journey. I really appreciate hearing it. So I think we're here today to talk about kind of accessibility of care. And I know that's a huge passion of yours. Mm -hmm. So um, in addition to your position in emerge critical care, Mm -hmm. I know you have a huge role in that as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about that particular position and what you're doing and um, tell us kind of what accessible care is? For sure. So 
it was never something that was on my radar. And um, when I first came back to Canada in the early, well, late 2000s, I guess, and uh, a fellow graduate student, Dr. Michelle Lem, took me uh, under her wing and said uh, we became quite good friends. We just really admired the work that each other had been doing. And uh, she said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I was like, mm, not much. Why? Uh, well, you know, this charity thing that I've got going, Community Veterinary Outreach, we're starting a new project, a pilot project in Hamilton and the clinics this weekend, and I would really like it if you would come. And I said, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> and nice. I have to say, I had some significant implicit biases of like who I was going to meet and what I was going to see and expectations of like the kinds of patients I was going to have to manage. And I'm happy to say that that was a transformational experience for me. Amazing. I completely um, had all the wrong ideas in my head. And I think that's common. I, I mean, we're, if you're alive and not living under a rock and watching media these days, these are messages that are constantly bombarding us about um, who people who live in poverty, who people who um, have experienced significant less advantage than many of us, uh, who people with no power and no privilege are, how they're supposed to act, and all of the roles that they're supposed to have, uh, and you know what their pets are supposed to be like. You know, it was uh, it was really really eye opening experience, wow. and so uh, that was really the first. Thing that happened and you know of course I volunteered a few more times and then as Michelle finished up her master's degree and moved back to Ottawa um, she asked whether I would be interested in sort of carrying on some of the activities in Hamilton which of course I jumped at the opportunity because the other thing that I had seen in action in in these clinics was uh, the phenomenal um, student learning that takes place in that environment um, where groups of students from phase one and phase two and phase three and phase four were all working collaboratively together. And the students in the underclass years were so comfortable asking their colleagues in the upper years, like, what's this and how do you do that? And, oh, like, I'd never seen that before. And they just naturally fell into that role of explaining things to each other much more effectively and efficiently and with far less, like, anxiety and bias and any of those kinds of things that as a faculty you hope that you come across as engaging and approachable but there's still that element of power and and the dynamic of that really changes that relationship so I began to see myself as a facilitator of peer-to-peer -peer teaching in those environments and of course the clients and the pets in those environments are phenomenal teachers they're patient they don't have the same expectations uh, as some of our other clients are. And they're just so incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to have someone pay attention to this living being that they get so much pleasure and support. And in some cases, it's the most important relationship they'll ever have in their life, you know, from an unconditional love perspective. 
And that is a privilege, really, to interact and to be a part of those experiences. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And because I don't really know how to say no to anyone, <laughs> what started as a couple of clinics per year sort of gradually morphed into a lot of volunteer activities. Mm -hmm. We eventually branched out to offering similar services in Kitchener-Waterloo and Guelph and also, you know, really started to reach out to First Nations communities in southwestern Ontario and growing and developing that relationship over time. And so, uh, you know, fast forward to, you know, five or six years later, uh, I kind of had two full-time jobs almost, one as a volunteer doing a lot of this work and one in the emergency and critical care service. And I knew that I, that wasn't sustainable. And so I was really looking for some sort of, you know, succession plan for myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, that happened to coincide with the appointment of a new dean at OVC. And so stealthily, I had a plan <laughs> uh, of going to make an appointment with the new dean when he arrived and uh, chatting with him about a vision that I had uh, with respect to how this experience that I was having really needed to be brought into the college, you know, in introduced and incorporated into the formal curriculum. Absolutely. So we met and I don't know if he thought I was crazy or not, but I was very passionate <laughs> uh, about <laughs> what I said, um, left him with it. And, uh, you know, I, I think like many people who trying to take advantage of that situation with a new person and have their own particular sort of pet project, you know, identified and green lighted, so to speak. Uh, and so after that process had sort of settled down and he'd heard from a lot of different people, he, he approached me again and said, like, I really like this idea. And I really think that, you know, the profession is ready for us to address this social justice issue in a, right. in a more substantive way. Um, and especially with the, you know, the, the learning, the student out learning outcomes that you've identified. And so um, I was happy and I thought, oh, yeah. you know, maybe, you know. And so thankfully he and our amazing um alumni affairs and development team um, got to brainstorming and they felt that this was potentially a really good fit for Kim and Stu Lang. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I guess was just written in the stars that they yeah. were inspired by the ideas and um, very quickly <laughs> Um, this grew into a suddenly $11 million gift to uh, the OVC to try to make this vision a reality. So it's uh, been an amazing journey. Uh, I The gift was announced in November of 2019. In January of 2020, I moved into my current role as interim director of the Kim and Stu Lang um, Community Healthcare Partnership Program. And uh, for the last two years, I've been, you know, really full-time hard at work trying to, you know, in the midst of COVID, develop uh -huh. uh, a curriculum and a vision and, you know, an infrastructure, human resources infrastructure uh, to sort of bring this uh, into fruition. And so I'm 
glad to to say that um, our hiring has gone extremely well as it did when we opened the primary health care center and there are some amazing people who are going to walk in my footsteps and carry uh, this forward for me um, you know this was always the goal is to leave this project in somebody else's capable hands so that I could return to my old hopefully still true passion in life which is emergency and critical care um but i'll be moving off into starting a sabbatical leave in january and um so i'm coming to the end of my tenure here as the interim director of the kim and Stu lang program and i you know there's a, a lot of mixed emotions very I'm bittersweet sure. for me it it's been a huge part of my, my my life for such a long time. There are many of the people and communities that we've met and partnered with and supported in various ways that I'm going to miss tremendously. I'm sure. Uh, but I also know that I'm not getting younger and I need to make my life smaller in many ways uh, and enjoy some other things in life too. Uh, and so I'm hoping to continue to volunteer periodically with the program. So I'm not going to walk away completely, but I will be playing a far smaller role going forward, which is just, just fine with me, actually. Congratulations. What an incredible legacy. I mean, to have started that program and set it on its feet and getting people going. And you're so inspirational to all of us who oh, do some outreach kind. with you. It's an incredible experience. And I, I totally agree with what you said about, you know, the students around the table, just mm -hmm. watching all these interactions and, and the clients are so engaged as well. Mm -hmm. They really enjoy hearing mm -hmm. the students talk about mm -hmm. things and having the vet come by. And, you know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful dynamic. Everyone walks away from outreach. I don't know, just uh, inspired. So it's I know a, I do. It's a real gift, I think, for us. Yeah. You know, I think part of it for people who participate is, you know, it, it really catalyzes the fundamental reasons we all came into the profession, yeah. which is to have this pure moment of just helping somebody mm -hmm. without a lot of the stuff that goes along with the realities of that and most of the work that we do exactly fee for service and demanding clients and you know insurance claims all of those kinds yeah. of things that are part of our everyday life and, and you know I grant we can't we can't exist and go home and eat and enjoy a house over our heads uh, without those things I'm not saying that's you know bad or wrong but we all know that those are really stressful things. And so to be able to leave that behind and just, just focus on that relationship is really, truly a gift for people. Absolutely. And it teaches us how to work with what we have mm -hmm. available to us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really important too. Yeah. Something that I, I think we'll see infused into the curriculum in a much broader and much more detailed way going forward. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Thanks so much for coming today, Shane. I think we'll end it here just temporarily, though. There's so much more we have to talk about. I really feel we haven't finished our conversation at all. So I talk too much. <laughs> that's not true. Um, anyway, so we are going to pick it up next week with part two of our discussion with Dr. Shane Bateman. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Um, please follow us on Instagram at Vet Sessions. And if you have a question for us or an idea for a podcast, please email us. Our email is uh, vetsessions at hotmail.com. Thanks very much.